Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jack Whipple. He is founder of Whipple Effect, uh, which is a consulting company helping organizations with the cultivation side of the cannabis business. We're going to get into lots of conversations about that. Jack has been in the cannabis space for a long time, has been a founder, involved with many different companies, is an expert on the business of cultivation, really understanding how you bring in agricultural science, deep knowledge of the cannabis plant to create successful cultivation operations, cultivation businesses. Excited to talk about this. I think one of the fun things about cannabis as an industry is it involves so many expertise, areas of science, areas of of the world in terms of really what makes the cannabis industry run. Uh, and the cultivation side is, is a fascinating one, just the agricultural science that goes into really understanding how the plant works, how the plant grows, what it takes to create you know successful, healthy, loved plants. Uh, it is really, it's a fascinating part of it. So I'm excited for this. With that, Jack, 
Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So let's start with background. Just tell us a little bit about how, like, how did you get involved in cannabis? How did you get involved in the business side? Which came first? Uh, you know, what was what was kind of the backstory for you in, in this whole in this whole business? So it kind of starts a long time ago in Indiana, which is uh, kind of funny because cannabis is still illegal there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, and my grandpa at the time was uh, the chief justice of the Indiana Supreme Court, so you can. Imagine Imagine uh, <laughs> I, I was not the most popular person in the family once I started mm. selling weed at the age of 15. Yeah, I've heard the story a couple of different times from different people. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I started at a, I found a, the cannabis plant at a young age and everyone kind of in school back then, it was made out to be the scary thing. And I was quite frankly scared of it, but then I tried it and I was like, Oh, this is not scary. Like this is actually really awesome. And it's like teaching me things about myself and I just believed in it. So yeah, yeah, way, way back when, when I was 15, I started selling it to friends. I didn't even have a scale either. I just bought like a quarter pound and made it into four piles. I was like, okay, I have four ounces. Like I'm going to go find people that want this. Uh, so when did it become, when did it go from, uh, you know, this kind of smaller hustle kind of business focus to really being, hey, look, I, we could really develop a profession and a career and make this a, a life's calling or a, a, a professional calling for you? Yeah, so that's what was really cool. Like I had still been dabbling a little bit and just kind of what you said, like a small time hustle while I was a pre-med student in college at Indiana mm-hmm. University. Um, and I was studying biology and chemistry and, uh, I just had a revelation one day and I was like, man, why am I selling weed illegally in Indiana? This is stupid. It's legal in Colorado. Yeah. And, um, like what was cool about the selling weed in college is it kind of taught me about business. Yeah. And I was like, okay, if I can do this here, like, why can I not start a dispensary? So I finally had the courage to tell my parents, I was like, Hey, this is what I've been doing. This is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I love. And I hope you'll support me. Either way, I'm going to Colorado and I'm going to figure it out one way or another. So that's what I did. I'm always curious about the reactions when people, you know, kind of go into the business, into the profession or industry of cannabis. And, you know, they're dealing with, uh, you know, other professional colleagues, their professional reputation, family, friends. What was the, I guess, what was the impact? I mean, you, you kind of mentioned that you had some family that were kind of in the judicial law enforcement side of things. Was, were there, was this divisive? Was this, you know, people supportive? How did, how did this play out for you? Yeah, you know, I feel really, I feel really fortunate because my family was really supportive. My mother's a lawyer and she was like, you know what? As long as you want to go do this legally in Colorado, I'll support that. Just don't ever come back to Indiana. So I was, <laughs> I was like, okay, I didn't really want to be in Indiana anyway. So <laughs> see you later. Yeah. Well, sometimes you got to make these decisions, decisions in life. And, and I guess has that changed over time and now that you know things have kind of developed both socially and you know from a business point of view? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think all of my close family and friends who come out to – First Colorado, now California, they see the size of these projects that we're working on. They see the science that goes into it, the professionalism that goes into it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're paying federal taxes. We have licenses granted to us uh, from the state. Mm-hmm. Everything is being done by the books. And um, these are big, complex projects, you know, with 50 plus employees at each one of them, 10,000 plus plants. There's a lot happening, a bunch of different genetics. And um, I rarely get a reaction other than people just being pretty impressed and kind of awestruck and by the beauty of the plants. Yeah. 
And uh, tell us about your journey, kind of going from the hustle side to how did you get into the agricultural side and really kind of focusing on the that cultivation science, like what it takes to really grow grow these plants successfully at scale. Yeah, so that's what was super interesting, you know, because I, I moved to Colorado back in 2013 and with the intention of starting a dispensary because I had never even considered growing cannabis in Indiana because it's so illegal, you know, it just seemed like... Mm-hmm. It was just a crazy, I, I never once even considered it, you know, I was like, that's just, a, you'll go straight to jail if you get caught. <laughs> so I got to Colorado and I was trying to start, I met someone who had a dispensary and we were working on starting a dispensary together, but he also had a cultivation facility and had won multiple cannabis cups and was kind of a world renowned grower. And my background in biology and chemistry, coming straight out of chemistry labs in college, I just immediately fell in love with the plants, you know? It's kind of a big chemistry experiment, a big chemistry lab mixed with all these different genetic cultivars that Mm -hmm. act in different ways. And literally, I've had the plants in my life every single day since I set foot in that garden. Yeah. And what, what, tell us about your first real grow experience. I mean, what, what, like what was surprising? What, what wasn't surprising? What, what did you learn? I mean, it sounded like you had a lot of crossover in terms of your kind of science background, but what, what were the areas that you really needed to kind of add to your knowledge and your skill set to be able to successfully look at the cultivation side? Oh man, there's so many different parts of it. I guess initially I learned on in a 5,000 square foot facility and I didn't, I took for granted the health of the plants that I was witnessing, you know, uh-huh. if you come into a dialed in system and you're brand new, it almost seems like, oh, you just water the plants. <laughs> and as long as you know the formula, they'll grow, you know? Yeah. And then from there, thought it was easier than I ever would have imagined. I, I started my own 12,000 square foot facility and, oh man, that just taught me so many different lessons, how important the environment is how important irrigation strategies are probably harder than any of the plant sciences was how to manage people. I had never managed people before. And all of a sudden I had 30 people to manage. So that was a huge challenge. And then everything on top of the plant sciences, how to work and manage with partners and investors, you know, it's, there's just a lot Mm -hmm. of different moving pieces, uh, that go into these cultivation projects. Yeah. Give us a little sense of the types of facilities, types of grows that you've worked with, what, how they've been different, how they've been similar, you know, some of the things that you've kind of learned over the course of kind of working with them. Give us a little picture of kind of some of the work you've done. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's come a long ways, you know. Like the, <laughs> my first company in Colorado, the majority of the companies from, you know, the majority of the companies that were commercial cultivation facilities in Colorado eight years ago were businesses that were, they were commercial buildings and other businesses before they were cultivations, you know? So it's converting uh, an old building into the best version of a cultivation room with the best knowledge that you had at the time, you know? The sciences are progressing so fast. It's kind of funny to think about where we were at eight years ago. But yeah, my first project was actually an old missile silo built by Beechcraft right after World War II to make (laughs) anti-Russian missiles. And then it was an EPA cleanup site for five years. And then the entire thing got zoned to be, it was seven buildings on the side of a mountain just north of Boulder. And the entire thing got zoned for cannabis. So there's seven cannabis companies up on the side of this hill. And the EPA would show up every three months with 
with these little like air testers to make sure that there's like no nuclear pollution. So it's just kind of yeah. like a interesting scenario. In <laughs> general. Surreal. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, that compared to one of uh, the projects that I'm working on right now in Cathedral City, which we built the building from the ground up and mm-hmm. designed every single piece of it. It's an extreme difference, you know, Yeah. from having wooden tables on wheels and everything being built from, you know, like going to Home Depot and buying <laughs> two by fours for trellis pulls to now we're ordering professional greenhouse tables from Canada yeah. and can control the environments to the degree and the humidity to the percentage point. And we have sensors in all of our plants. I mean, it went from hand watering and guessing to now I look at graphs and charts and mm-hmm. we have your daily irrigation strategies based on live data. Yeah. And in terms of kind of growth strategy and stuff like that, I mean, I know there's lots of different uh, kind of theories or philosophies or even camps, you know, around outdoor grow, greenhouse grow, you know, indoor grows. What's what's your area of focus or, or how do you kind of approach this and, and why do you why do you approach it in that way? Yeah. So my area of focus is specifically indoor cultivation. That's how I was introduced to cannabis cultivation. And that's really what I've just focused on ever since. What I really like about indoor cultivation is that we have control over every single every single environmental factor from temperature to humidity to the micromoles of light hitting the plants every to the milliliters of water per plant that every single plant in the room gets, you know, and then we have substrate sensors as well tracking the water content of the substrate and the EC, and we're literally controlling every single environmental factor and all of the irrigation strategy in order to push the plants and steer them in whatever direction we want to. Meaning, if you have a short cultivar, you can send the plant signals and and create certain different environmental set points to make it bigger than it normally would be. Or if you have a plant that's really big, you can give it a bunch of generative signals to make it shorter and st- have internetal spacing stacked a lot tighter than it normally would be if you were not doing these specific things to steer the crop how you want to. Yeah. And what goes into an indoor grow facility? I mean, give us kind of a sketch of the, the major systems or the, the considerations that designing a modern indoor grow, like what are the factors that you need to kind of design or, or, or put in place or, you know, systems that you need to have to control these things? Yeah. I mean, ultimately the backbone of an indoor cultivation facility is going to be your HVAC system and, uh, and your irrigation system. And there's a multitude of different ways to skin the cat, but ultimately what you're trying to do is if I want an environmental set point of 80 degrees Fahrenheit and 70% humidity, I want to be able to hold that for a 24 hour time period. Um, you know, when the lights go off, you don't want the humidity to spike up to 90% and then have your plants, basically the stomata closing your plant, not able to respirate for an hour and a half while you try to get your room back into homeostasis. So yeah, those are the two systems that are really important, you know, but ultimately there's a lot of different things that go into it. You know, are you going to build it with drywall or refrigerator panels How are you going to seal your floors? What kind of tables are you going to use? What kind of technology are you going to use to control all the internal equipment inside of the room? The building materials matter as well, you know, because we're basically creating indoor greenhouse climates inside. So building with drywall and drywall alone is 
uh, recipe for getting black mold with it. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like black mold problems. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the, all of these different things have to be considered and based on clients' budget or what their goals are, all of these things play a factor into the different avenues to take when designing a facility. Yeah, and I'm assuming if you're doing this in Alaska versus uh, Arizona, say those are, I mean, the external factors or the environmental conditions are going to be a big factor as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, like um, if you're building to grow in Florida and you're not going to be able to suck fresh air into the building like I could out here in Palm Springs where the air is super dry, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that's going to necessitate a different design. And how much of this is that there is, there is a best way to do all these things and how much of this is there's different sort of schools of thought or different camps around kind of strategies and, you know, what you optimize and what you kind of adjust for. What have you noticed in the industry at this point in terms of, you know, how these grows are really shaping up and the, the technical strategy for, for how to build these facilities? Yeah, I think, um, there, I think there's a few different like leading thoughts on how to design around this, but I think ultimately... The agricultural sciences that go into um, cultivating at the highest level, I think all the leaders are pretty much falling into line and focusing on the same things, you know, the science of the plant, uh, the science of how plants respirate um, and how you can use VPD to to put pressure on the stomata in order to let the plant respirate in certain ways. This is not unique to cannabis. These are not ideas that were designed by cannabis growers. You know, this is what they've been, when we go to, when I went to Vegas last year for the Cultivation Sciences Technology Summit, you know, this is what people are using for cucumbers and strawberries and tomatoes and every agricultural crop that exists. And we're just now applying it to cannabis, which is really fun and exciting. Yeah. I guess how much of this, I mean, yes, it sounds like there's a lot that you can just borrow from, you know, the highly mature and well-developed world of agricultural science. What pieces can't you apply or, or how is cannabis unique that either as, you know, as a plant or as what we're doing with cannabis versus what we're doing with other crop kind of grows? Where is cannabis different and where do you need to kind of adjust or, or where do you you can't apply kind of standard agricultural science, agricultural process to this. I mean, I think it's unique in the fact that there's, I don't know, a single other crop where people are growing nearly as many different genetic varietals, which makes things a little bit more complicated, such as there's different strategies dependent upon which cultivar that you're growing and like how hard you can push them or like, you know, the, the different EC levels that you can push a strain to before it stops performing. So I think stuff like that makes cannabis unique, but ultimately everything that we're doing right now is just more and more veering towards different, different agricultural practices and seeing how there are very direct parallels to you know, how people clone chrysanthemums and how we clone cannabis all the way to, you know, different environmental set points that people use in cucumber farming to make plants not stretch as much and how they directly apply to the cannabis plant as well. So I don't have a background in like a master's degree in uh, plant scientists as like some of my friends do, but my peers that I work with on a daily basis Pretty much everything that we're doing comes from one vegetable or one crop to another, you know. And and then really, I guess what's fun about cannabis is no one's really studied it on a level like they've studied all yeah. these other vegetables. 
and agriculture crops. So it's really interesting, you know, really feels like we're still at the very forefront of this. The highest level conversations that I have are let's try all these different things that we think might work and kind of putting our own theories together and doing small scale experiments to test and prove theories and then spreading those throughout our companies in order to maximize yields and profits. Yeah. I'm curious on the cultivar side. I mean, you mentioned that uh, one of the dynamics or one of the factors or, or differences you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, we have, we have several different types of tomatoes, but we don't have that many types of tomatoes. And, and with cannabis, I don't even know what the counts are at this point. But what, I mean, how many cultivars are we growing in the industry at this point when it comes to the larger grows or the more, uh, you know, commercial kind of grow facility situations? On the market across America, there's thousands now. I mean, it's just anyone could, like, you could put up a tent in your bedroom and put eight female plants in it with a male and all of a sudden have eight new uh, cannabis strains. (laughs) And you could call them whatever you want and try to convince people to grow them, you know? (laughs) And that's kind of what's making it crazy, you know, because the industry's growing so fast and it's still so young that besides just like people's reputations on Instagram almost is is really the only validity that breeders have in my opinion you know like there's different companies that are tracking the genomes of these strains but I see more new strains every single week than that it'll just make your head spin yeah and why like what's your kind of understanding or what do you feel is like really driving the diversity of the the cultivars and why do we see all these new strains like what are people trying to achieve or what's the what's the strategy here yeah i think that there's multiple different purposes and intentions with breeding i have peers that are doing breeding with cannabis in the cbd world strictly for medicinal purposes i have other friends doing breeding for different types of cannabinoids that you don't normally see, like CBG and CBN and stuff like that. That's less common as well. The most common for recreational cannabis, which is all the facilities that I work at, all of my clients have recreational cannabis facilities. I think it's a two-part thing. A, the effects, of course. The terms have always been indica and sativa. But yeah, it's very evident when smoking different strains of cannabis that they can affect you different ways. Some could be mellow, some could make your head race a little bit more, some could give you more energy. So I think one part of breeding is trying to pull out uh, different desired effects. And then another part of it is kind of just for the beauty and the art of it. You know, it's a lot of fun to cross two strains, two different genetic cultivars that you love and see which traits will come out, you know, and see if you can make it better. Um, see if you can make it look better, see if you can make it smell stronger, see if you can make it bigger. All of these things are goals when breeding. And and then it kind of just turns into like a fun artistic game of what you can create, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there are kind of these, not necessarily two camps, but there's a commercial application side of this, which is, hey, can I create something that's going to be more productive or result in a more marketable product somehow? And then there's almost like kind of artisanal, you know, kind of craft side of it, which is, you know, really just creating new, interesting, you know, products, you know, plants that are that have really kind of unique attributes and yeah, that kind of crafty side of it. So. In terms of where you are now and this having all this experience, you know, having worked with all these different operations and, the, and you know, grows, what's your kind of how have you amassed that into you know kind of knowledge expertise what are you working on now how do you take all this and provide it as you know as a business or or, you know professionally your next steps yeah so i just started a company called whipple effect 
I'm with my brother. So our last name's Whipple, so it's kind of fun. And the goal with Whipple Effect is to create like an operational support. Consulting firms in this industry kind of get a bad rap, you know? So, and I really like, I've had a bunch of different consultants and like what I wanted to do was create a support system to be able to help cultivation companies learn the science track the results and have lines of communication in order to make it all work because there are a lot of different moving pieces. So what the Whipple effect is, the kind of the ethos and the structure and the way that we're, the different facets of it that I've created in order to give us the results that we want and to have healthy plants in all these projects. I wrote an in-depth training manual that uh, I've called the Cultivation Process Instructions. Pulled that from the manufacturing world, manufacturing process instructions. But that's basically just like an A to Z guide taking every single step of the whole process. Like this is cloning. This is an overview of what cloning is. And then this is the equipment that you're going to need for it. This is how many people that you'll need for it. And then under that, each individual step with pictures depicting exactly how to do the process. On top of that, I use a system called Basecamp. So whenever I take on a new client in the first week, what we do is after meeting the team and figuring out the employee structure and how they want to, who's in charge of what rooms, we load all of these standard operating procedures and room checks and cultivation process instructions in an app that everyone in the business downloads called Basecamp. So the employees aren't just like walking in there, like wondering what to do. Every single day they're working off a checklist. It's very organized. It's very specific. And um, it's all digitally timestamped. So, and it's archived, you know, so the manager every single day or myself or, or one of the consultants on my team who gets paired up with one of the managers, they can say I have a client in Colorado and I'm in California, I can still see every single day what they're doing through this app on Basecamp. And then also, it's kind of cool having my brother on the team because he has a business degree and comes from the world of corporate business, not cannabis, which is amazing to work with him, you know, because I'll, I get to tell him every single thing that's going <laughs> on in these projects and the data that I've been collecting and that... Like when we first started this project, I was like, this is everything I collect. And he kind of took all of that and uh, just amped it up another notch and made it put like that corporate touch on it. So mm -hmm. my brother is in charge of managing all of the data from each project and will send every manager every day gets a cultivation daily snapshot. So that mm -hmm. shows every single room, the environmental set points, the highs and the lows, the substrate set points, the EC, the water content. And then he built into this spreadsheet, if it goes out of the desired ranges, it'll change a different color and give a notification to everyone. So every yep. single day, instead of the managers, which are super busy, you know, collecting data for two hours, they just it just pops up in their inbox and then we can have a high level conversation about it. On top of that, I really am big into what I learned early on with management of these projects. I can give someone a golden formula and that doesn't mean that they're going to succeed. It really is about having clear lines of communication, clear job titles and uh, a positive team atmosphere, which is what I really believe in. So I infuse teams with a weekly gratitude meeting and mm -hmm. everyone talks Everyone shares something that they're grateful for, something that they love about the company, and something they'd love to change. 
And these are really great meetings because it allows everyone to connect on a deep level and just like learn about each other's lives. And then it gives positive and constructive feedback about the company. Yeah. And then the final piece of this is kind of all the back end, like C-level executive data tracking, data tracking arm of running one of these facilities. So after every single harvest, uh, our firm provides a harvest analysis. And this show, this breaks down the harvest by grams per square foot of every strain, dollars per gram. So not only just like, oh, we had a great harvest, but it's like, no, how is every single cultivar producing? And Mm -hmm. if you like, and then comparing all of them, you know, so it's like, okay, this strain, I had a cut of OG Kush that yields 10% less than the sour diesel. Uh, So then I can talk to the owners of the company and say, hey, the only way that it makes sense for you to grow the strain is if you can charge 10% more for it in order to make sure that, you know, profits are being maximized. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the whole that we're now at the point in the industry where a lot of this business is data driven. Like it used to be much more kind of intuitive or, you know, people just kind of knew what to do and they kind of had a a sense for what's going on. You know, now the data that we can collect and, you know, the scale that we operate on, you know, is a, you know, it's shifting fairly dramatically into this kind of data driven business, data driven systems model. Yeah. Big time. I mean, there's, there's nothing that happens in any of our facilities that's not a hundred percent planned out. Like at this phase of the plant's life, it's, this is a teen and it has one one square foot per plant and it's going to get 100 milliliters of water per day, five times a day, so on and so forth at every single day of the plant's life until we cut it down. And then while we dry it, same thing, very specific set points, very specific times on how long we dry it, how long we cure it. There, There's really no guessing anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, there can't be. I mean, the you know, the difference of a quarter of a percent on, on some of these things can end up meeting serious money when you start thinking about the scale that these operations are running at now. And so what else beyond the, you know, working on the cultivation, you know, operating process and, you know, helping with helping companies just get to higher levels of efficiency and productivity, what else do you have got going on in sort of professionally at this point? Yeah, so um, I also just started, we were just talking about breeding. I just completed my first breeding project, which I'm really excited about. And the brand of the seeds is going to be called Psychonaut Genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is still at a super early age. Um, this first project is kind of like what we were talking about is just for the craft of cannabis. And uh, But it's a really exciting one. Uh, all the cultivars that are a part of the project either test over 30% in THC or they've been previous Cannabis Cup winners or they come from world-renowned breeders. So it's kind of a fun way for me to get to display the great work of my peers and the breeders that have paved the way before me and now get to start doing these breeding projects and crossing these genetics and uh, and putting my own uh, flavor on it while also giving uh, paying respects to the great psychedelic pioneers who have paved the way for psychedelics at large, which cannabis mm-hmm. is one of those. So that's also special to me. That's excellent. Yeah. So actually real quick one, though, I have one more project that I'm super passionate oh, yeah. to ahead. drop in real quick. So I also have a, a nonprofit called a sacred trip. Uh-huh. And, um, that is, uh, I make a special blend of cannabis and then mm-hmm. we have like a two hour long 
sound journey meditation where everyone gets to set intentions and just experience cannabis in like a a little bit different way than that they normally do. So Mm -hmm. um, had to talk about that real quick. And then all it's just donation based that people choose to donate. And then that all goes to maps to support them with their uh, MDMA research that they're doing. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it sounds like you're busy. (laughs) So if people want to find out more about you about Whipple Effect, uh, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so uh, my website is www.whippleeffect.com. And my last name is spelled W-H-I-P-P-L-E. And mm-hmm. also you can find me on Instagram at Whipple Effect. Great. I'll make sure that the links and the handles are in the show notes here so people can click through and get that information. Jack, this has been a pleasure. I, I always love people who are passionate about the work they do, passionate about the plant, and also you know highly technical and have really kind of studied this and figured out what it takes to really make these operations, make these grow successful. And, and clearly you've spent a lot of time here. You've, you've got a lot of strong ideas. It sounds like you've been very successful in, in helping companies really master the cultivation side. So I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. I really appreciate you having me and uh, look forward to connecting some more. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.